0: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods.
1: Welcome everybody to One Hour at a Time. Today is February 24th and our guest today is um, Nancy Steiner who wears many hats. Um, She's the executive officer for the Sanctuary Program. Um, She's also a registered nurse. She's the clinical outreach person for uh, Crossroads Antigua, and she also works with the Florida State Board of Nursing for the uh, Nursing Intervention Project. Welcome to One Hour at a Time, Nancy.
2: Thank you, Mary. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to speak with you today.
1: Well, I, you know, this is a, an important topic. Uh, today we're going to be talking about continuing care. And um, in, in the addiction world, that's often been something that's kind of been an, um, not really part of our, of our culture and outside of having people go to um, self-help meetings. So I wondered if you could just begin by um, talking to our listeners about continuing care and how that differs from quote-unquote aftercare.
2: Well, I think that um, continuing care wears a lot of different hats and um, a lot of people continually use different uh, phrases for it. I see it myself as that process of recovery uh, after treatment. People are put in treatment and they're in a safe cocoon, and then, uh, which is difficult at best for them, and then returning to people, places, and things of their former life without having time to get these things and practice these tools is difficult at best for them. And uh, continuing care is a process that's, I think, all through recovery, not just a plan. Learning to live in recovery, starting to be part of recovery, and find a new life that's going to be comfortable, it's sort of like new shoes that are going to fit right. And right. I think and that we as professionals um, are a very big part of that. I see myself as been doing that for quite a while. I think a lot of us do it, and maybe we don't put a name on it, is that making sure that these people are well-suited to their new life
1: and so much so often when people get discharged from treatment it's it's an event um the discharge is the event and people then conceptualize as i've been to treatment and and when in reality recovery is a process as you were saying and so many treatment um times uh treatment providers don't see it as a process and they just see it as an event
2: so And I think we're starting to see it more. People are, are, if if you want to use the word, buying into it more, because they're, like, seeing the process. And it's a proven fact. The longer you have people engaged in a continuum of care, the more successful they are in recovery. I mean, that's that's not even something that you even have to speculate. It's proven that people that stay engaged in, in the treatment process and continuing care do far better than somebody who goes to treatment and comes out and has no plan and doesn't follow through with the plan.
1: How, how would you say self-help differs from continuing care?
2: Um, I think self-help is exactly what it is itself. Um, and a lot of times we can't always rely on self when we're new at this process. Um, the aftercare plan, is, as I see it from a clinical perspective, is we put the plan together and we hope they follow it. Continuing care is you guide them through the process of following it, whether it be going from... Um, finishing treatment to transitional living and starting to live in recovery with other men or other women um, and starting to learn how to enjoy yourself and be comfortable in your own skin. I I see it too. It's almost like I always equate it when I'm telling um, people that I'm working with. is It's almost like a gardening process. You know, you come out and you need to get planted in recovery and live among other sober people and having somebody watch over that plan to make sure it's happening.
1: Well, and so often um, what, what people really need, in addition to self-help, are just help with the very basics of um, living. I can remember working with a, with a man who um, never danced sober, um, someone who never uh, registered to vote, didn't know how to register to vote, um, another person who uh, had never gone to a movie um, because they have either been incarcerated or too intoxicated, and um had never been in movie theater so.
2: absolutely. We have a in uh, the sanctuary, um, we take our men to social events with other people on staff to process that. We'll go to a we went to a Marlins game as an example, and a lot of them had never been to a baseball game sober um, and a lot of parts of it were uncomfortable, but they had somebody to process it with and uh, talk about it and found that it was very enjoyable. Some of it was uncomfortable. Most of them are very socially inept in recovery and have to learn a whole new skill um, and having somebody to guide them. We take them, you know, we may even go simply to showing them how to do laundry, mm-hmm. which sounds very simple to those of us who are out there doing those uh, things, but for somebody who has either had somebody do them coming from a home um, where they've never had to do anything um, and all of a sudden they're on their own, and they have to learn that process. So that's part of that continuum of care as well. It's not just about being sober. It's being able to live sober.
1: Right. At Westbridge we work with people that have co-occurring major mental illness and substance use disorders. And what's always been um, striking in the mental, on the mental health side is um, how they value case management, how case management is reimbursable. And on the addiction side, uh, Case management has never been reimbursed on the addiction side, but yet, as we're talking, all of these activities of daily living often have to either be relearned or learned for the first time. And services, typically um, insurance and even state-funded services, don't pay for case management for addiction treatment.
2: Absolutely. It's, it's sad to say that that's part of, uh, I guess, the discrimination of... Um, of our history, is that they don't reimburse and that these are very important. You know, you can put somebody, and I think in the end when we look at how much money it does save for the insurance companies or whoever's reimbursing at the end, if you put someone in treatment again and again and they come out and don't have a continuum of care and a plan and it's followed, they're more likely to be back in treatment again and not have learned anything. And, not, and I have had clients that have told me, I went to treatment four times, but I never took the recommendation of a transitional living or, you know, or, or continuing care to finish. And so they didn't have any skills. You have to get planted in recovery. And you know, you've know you got core issues issues that haven't been addressed, and they start to surface when we get clean and sober. And that's when the new sober life begins. And who's going to be there to help you?
1: Well, historically in addiction treatment, no one, except for if you're lucky enough to get into an AA group or a self-help group where you find somebody who can support you. But um, for the most part, it doesn't happen. And then and then when people relapse, um, they're considered chronic relapsers and there's something wrong with them because they haven't been able to maintain their recovery in this brand-new environment.
2: Absolutely, and we, we, you know, at the sanctuary we make sure that the men, the men have to have a sponsor within the first two weeks they get there. If they don't, we'll make sure that they happen to, we'll take them to a meeting to find one, even if it's a temporary one, um, doing service work, volunteering, uh, trying out some new things. But with the help of a sponsor, and we, we require our men to go to a meeting every single day, and we want them to try new meetings, go to a place where there's a lot of sobriety, where you've got double-digit numbers going um, not always do they have to be at a, a beginner's meeting because a lot of people with a lot of sobriety have a lot to offer.
1: That's right, especially when you're in new in new recovery. Oh,
2: I, and, you know, the, I always tell our gentlemen, they didn't come up with these phrases because they had nothing else to do, but, you know, just suit up and show up, you know, right. one day at a time. Sit there and listen, even if you don't have anything to say. Just listen right. because you will get something.
1: Well, that's exactly right. And so many of... Um, you know, what's really important in recovery and after treatment is that when people leave the quote-unquote treatment episode, that they have a full understanding of self-help and what types of meetings there are. And what. And I think it's, it behooves the treatment agency to know where are the quote-unquote supported meetings, where are the quote-unquote meetings where there are more people who tend to be um, active in their disease, I mean, it's, it's not just giving somebody um, a book and saying there's a meeting every day, figure out which one you want to go to.
2: Yeah, the likelihood of them doing that is, is small. Um, right. We look at the kind of what, and again, the continuum of care to me is still that essential part of finding out who you're working with. What, what type of an environment do they come from? What are you looking for in the ultimate, other than being sober, which we all want them to be, what is the ultimate goal for this client? Where do we want to see them a year from now or two years from now? What's the triggers that led them to relapse to begin with or go into treatment to begin with? Um, you need to find the where they can find some strength and have you know the determination to stay sober. It doesn't happen, and we see this all the time with people that want, we call them wandering into... Uh, a halfway house or transitional living and not having a plan. Um, we're very fortunate in most of the treatment centers that we work with that, that bring together um, the client to us. We we see them putting together a plan. We'd like them to see a therapist for medication management. We'd like them to see a psychiatrist. Whatever the plan is, let's start that as the continuing plan, but make sure it happens. That's our obligation as clinicians is to make sure the plan happens.
1: Um.
2: Where do you get your referrals from, Nancy? For
1: well, first of all you might want to just talk to us a little bit about your program because I know that aftercare is really what it's all about or continuing care.
2: Well I kept seeing this need for continuing I've I, as a you know, as a detox nurse, I've been in this field twenty five plus years and I've worked as a detox nurse. I've run treatment centers, extended cares. Um I think probably I've hit all the facets of it at some point. But the one thing I always saw was I would see people go into treatment and say Okay, I'm in treatment, and then now what? Um, And I found that a lot of places um, did not meet their needs, or they wouldn't accept the continuing care plan because we all have the connotation of what a halfway house is. um, And I wanted something that was just my passion and my dream personally is to find something that was going to be a um, something that give people dignity and recovery. Um, In recovery, is to give them that dignity and respect that they deserved. And I found that that I started with creating the Sanctuary. And I found that giving these men that piece is very important in getting them off into the next step of their recovery. And where's the Sanctuary located? We're in Delray Beach, Florida, okay. and, uh, which is the Mecca of recovery. I, so I read about all the time. <laughs> and um, we, we are very fortunate because we have so many meetings. We have so much av- availability um, to give people that piece of recovery that they don't have, a lot of places where there might be one meeting a week or two meetings a week. We have them 24 hours a day, seven Self-help groups are everywhere. Probably the only place you can walk by Starbucks and see people with a big book and be very comfortable with their substance. Um, we'll be right back after this break with more with Nancy uh, Snyder
1: and talking about continuing care recovery. You're listening
0: to Voice America Health and Wellness.
3: Ladies, are you looking for a
1: place where you can talk candidly about anything and everything? Well, here it is. Timeless Women Speak on the Voice America Women's Channel. We'll talk about sexuality, age-proofing your career, finding your passion and purpose, keeping your brain power, keeping your marriage fresh, dating for grown-ups, plastic surgery, surviving our beauty culture, and much more. Tune in Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific to Timeless Women Speak with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly on the Voice America Women's Channel.
4: fashion common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders that's westbridge.org family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders
0: step into a healthier you voice america health and wellness
1: executive director of the sanctuary in Delray Beach, Florida, uh, registered nurse extraordinaire, and um, representative—the southeastern representative for clinical ongoing care at Crossroads in Antigua. So, Nancy, how do you balance all of this?
2: <laughs> I, I guess it's the passion I have for uh, doing it. I—I uh, I tried it. Well, I've been very fortunate in the fact that um, working with Crossroads has given me the availability to uh, continue the. Work I wanted to do at the sanctuary, um, and I'm not familiar that the Crossroads did purchase the sanctuary about a year ago, um, and so I'm part of the Crossroads Center Foundation, which is a uh, international foundation founded by Eric Clapton, and that gives me the availability to not only work with Crossroads, but many treatment centers. My, the men that are at the sanctuary come from many places uh, and treatment centers throughout the country and the world. So we're very fortunate in that we have a good reputation of taking good care of our men when they get here.
1: Now you keep saying men. I, uh, we can assume that the sanctuary is for men only.
2: Uh, yes, uh, no, I don't have any. I, I never uh, had started the women's program. Um, I have do. I do get calls on that, though. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of frustrated families go, "How come we don't have something like this for women?" But there are many, you know, many reasons. I started one. I wanted to do it right. Um, I. Not, not being a man myself, I hired people that had good, solid recovery to work with the men, um, and we put it in an area that the homes are lovely, and it's an area where they can be proud to live. and that's that was my focus from the beginning. As far as my whole uh, way of living, I just my whole life is working with people in recovery. It always has been for the last twenty five years. And uh, I think if all of us worked a twelve step program, we'd all be better off. <laughs> Yeah, well,
1: yes, here, here, I can certainly agree with that. Um, you know, you mentioned the environment that um, the sanctuary is in and, and whether it's a sanctuary or Westbridge or any other program. So oftentimes um, the environment that people are in in early recovery really adds to whether they're going to feel hopeful or hopeless. And, um, and I think that that's something a lot of providers don't get, you know, that it doesn't cost any more for colored paint as it does for beige paint.
2: You know. <laughs> how true:
1: and, How true, uh, and that's
2: one of the comments that we frequently get from families is this, the little extra things that, which is just time and consideration right. for people and giving them some respect in where they are in the recovery process, right. um, whether it be taking the guys to a ball game and teaching them how to live in sobriety, or you know we took them to a ropes course to teach them the trust issues that they're going to, and these are all things that they're going to need out there in the world. And hopefully we have a little piece of that um, that we can give them. And continuing care for no matter where, whatever the, the treatment center is, is I think I really feel strongly that it's our obligation, and I've worked in enough treatment centers, and I'm proud to say that most of them really look at that piece now is putting that piece together and making sure that it's handed off correctly to somebody to follow through. Well, at Westbridge we have
1: two assertive community treatment teams which provide ongoing continuing care for folks and that's based on a mental health model. Um, But it's so important because as you said, people need support, whether for a lot of people, um, whether it's doing their laundry, grocery shopping, um, you know, uh, learning how to hook up their cable television. You know, all of these things are, are things that people often need help with in early recovery, and they're very simple things. But there's the things that frustrate people and can often lead them back to to relapsing.
2: I had a um, interesting conversation because I knew we were going to be doing this with a gentleman that I, I am still seeing. He graduated from the sanctuary about six months ago, and I still see him. He moved to this area, and that, that's another piece of continuing care that I think people see is where they feel safe. They end up kind of living or locating. Um, they may have to change careers they may have to, and that 's something that they need to look at too. If they own a restaurant a family restaurant and bar, and they 've been told that they need that 's part of their recovery is they 're going to have to do something else that 's very difficult for people to uh, assimilate in their head is that 's what the family 's always done that 's what they 've always done. What do they do? So you know finding them another avenue to stay sober and still make a living is another part of that continuing piece right. but I spoke with this gentleman and I said, what, what was the most important part?" Do you think? And he said, the fact that um, I knew there was a safe place that I could, you know, I could process what I needed to do for the next year. He said, I went to treatment four times, and none of the times did I ever follow through with a plan. And he said, this time I followed through. If you told me to do this, I did it. And he said, I, he just picked up his year um, this, this month. And he said, I found that this time I had to go slowly, I had to listen, I had to process, and I wasn't clear for the first three months I was at the sanctuary. I was really not that clear. So if he had gone back to his old behavior and old environment, he would have been out relapsing again because he's, he's sure that that was part of the process for him with that continuing care piece. I, now I meet him for a cup of coffee because he's pretty much got his plan, he's done it, But the bottom line is that people still care about him and where he is, and he knows that there's a safety net for him.
1: Well, and I think that's another piece that uh, often gets overlooked, that recovery is really about supportive relationships and not just the ones that people are able to get through self-help. Because some people aren't going to be able to access self-help, but what continuing care provides is that ongoing, stable, Relationship that, that people can check in with, and um, that that so often gets overlooked because really it's about the relationship.
2: I think, and I think treatment centers that are care, which you know ninety nine point nine percent of us do. I know that we look at the client and say, "What's what's going to be best for him when he gets out of here?" You know, and it's, and I, I think that that's part of it. It's you know the follow the seamless continuum is what we're looking for for every client so that they're successful. Because you know they know how to they know how to not do well. They've done that before. Right now, how do we get them to do well, be successful, and be proud of where they're going? You know, there's nothing nicer than seeing somebody come back a year or two later and you know, getting married or they have a relationship again with their family. Um, those are the things that I think all of us work for. I know at Westbridge, I know you do a lot of the uh, co-occurring disorders and dual diagnosis. And they're difficult to work with at best because a lot of that stuff uh, doesn't come to the surface until after they've been clean and sober for a little bit. Right. And right. then and you have a whole another thing that you're working on. So you ha- you know, your obligation of working with them for a longer period of time is really um, important.
1: Well, that's true. And, you know, um, people, I think people just struggle so much in early recovery to just feel like they belong somewhere. And Absolutely. sometimes they'll walk into a self help meeting and say, Okay, this is where I belong. I feel really good here. But to have a, a place like the Sanctuary or Westbridge or other places where people can walk in and say, I feel good about myself when I'm here because people treat me with respect and I have value. I don't think that I don't think you can replace that.
2: And I think that people socially inept I mean, you can go to a self help group and I, I truly believe that they're a fabulous part of the continuum of care, obviously. We make our guys go to a meeting every day and but the thing is a lot of people are not very good at walking up and asking for help right. um unless they happen to connect with a great you know great sponsor right away, and that doesn't always happen. they have to feel their way along, and we are uh we are part of that i call it the seamless part of that I hope, and giving them that you know like let's try a different meeting or let's volunteer over here. Um, nothing makes me prouder than to see somebody find even a new thing that they love to do mm-hmm. that they've never tried. Right,
1: right. Now, I know we uh, take people skiing, and we take them to bowling, and we've taken them to baseball games and hockey games, and, you know, that's all part of uh, either reconnecting with things that they used to enjoy or finding new things that they, they enjoy, and... That's all part of the uh, the fun of recovery is is that exploration, you know.
2: We took I took a bunch of the guys to a yoga class on uh, Sunday. We have a new yoga play, studio, and we took I took a, three or four of them to a yoga class, and uh, they were just a, you know that they could focus for a whole hour and a half um, to learn how to meditate, to learn how to self explore again, and that's all part of self help, but they don't know how to do it. Right. And right. if we can open that door and let them go through to see what's on the other side, there is a whole other world. And, they, and, and when you get working, especially, I don't know how you are, but I, I see a lot of my, when I get younger men, they don't know, like, this is the whole life, what do I do for my whole life without drinking and drugging? And right. yesterday we had a Super Bowl party, and, you know, I had chili and we had, you know, the, the guys all cooked outside. It was a group effort in a sober environment, and they had a great time. But that doesn't come, they don't think it up. They just can't. Right. right. It, it just doesn't come to that way. And that's what we, we forget sometimes. We just, well, just go you know, go skiing or go bowling. You sometimes have to take them as you know, children and say, okay, we're all going bowling or we're all going skiing. Right. And we're going to process how you felt about that because this will let them see what their future choices are going to be.
1: Well, and the other part of that is is that not making the assumption that because someone doesn't show up for bowling that they're unmotivated or they don't want to be sober or somebody who doesn't show up for the cookout is because they're not motivated. They may just need that extra support to get there.
2: Yeah, it may be one, and it may not be us. It may be one of the peers saying, come on, you know, let's go, they'll go. Not us saying, you know, you have to go. Right. Um, again, it's a... It's, when they wrestle with their past and they focus on that future, there's these little changes that occur and there are internal things that happen a little at a time and all of a sudden they open up and they go realize, oh my gosh, I'm really doing well. And that gives them the insight to start doing better, You know, whether it be we're opening up to their therapist more and start bringing out some of the secrets they've been hiding for years. And again, focusing on the little the little little steps that are going to be big steps eventually. And I um, think that's what gives us that, that feeling of success.
1: Right, right. And I think it's really important that we maybe, when we come back from our break, just, Nancy, you've talked about a couple people, but maybe you give us a couple more case examples of um, folks that may have been in treatment, be or, or sure. that have sanctuary, um, or people that have been successful at uh, crossroads. So we'll be right back after this break with Nancy Steiner. About continued care and the process of recovery.
0: Steps to a Healthier You. Voice America Health and Wellness.
4: common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders that's westbridge.org family Center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders
3: would it be crazy if you just stopped everything packed your bags and left for a week a month a year what if you left for two years would people think you'd lost your mind What if you were going far away to help in a village on the edge of the Gobi Desert? A village crowded with Buddhist temples, not skyscrapers. A place where there isn't a word for recluse, but a thousand words for community. Would it be crazy to go 5,000 miles from home? To spend time with people the rest of the world only reads about? To build libraries and fill them with stories? Prepare a meal with food you helped grow? To teach children? And learn a thing or two about yourself. Would that be crazy? Peace Corps. Life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or visit peacecorps.gov.
0: A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: Registered nurse extraordinaire. Um, I say that because I'm also a registered nurse and I know <laughs> how hard she worked to get that RN. Um, she's also the CEO of Sanctuary in Delray Beach and she's a Southeast Clinical Care Representative for Crossroads in Antigua. And I'd asked you before the break, Nancy, to think about some case examples in terms of illustrating how continuing care may have made a difference or. Um, you know, maybe talking a little bit too about um, the Crossroads Foundation, and now they've ex- they've ex- they've added this other piece to their uh, care uh, continuum of care as well. So,
2: well, I uh, think the foundation. I think it's important to look at the foundation as why they wanted to uh, come and be in the United States, be with this, be part of the sanctuary. First of all, it was a compliment to us, but it was a compliment also for us to be associated with the foundation, In um, that they started looking at that seamless continuum of care. Uh, in the island of Antigua, we are very fortunate there. They have, um, Mr. Clapton has a halfway house there for the Antigans that they can go to up to a year. Um, unfortunately, it does not work for people from the U.S. that are coming into treatment. So here we are talking about this seamless continuum of care, and we have somebody going to Antigua, Um, going to treatment, having a fabulous experience, and then what do we do with them now? And that was one of the reasons that they wanted to uh, look at having some kind of continuum care here in the United States. And um, they're also looking at the U.K. as well in the future for another type of same thing as the sanctuary where they can have a continuum of care when they go home from, uh, if they're coming in from the U.K., um, one of the things that we looked at was being able to provide that for them. Um, we have an alumni here in the southeast; it's very, it pretty strong from the Crossroads. They can call us. I speak to every client that's coming in, that's leaving Florida. Uh, coming, excuse me, coming back to Florida from Crossroads Center. I speak to them on the phone personally. They know my number. They have my card. They call me when they get back. We have an alumni association here. Um, So all that is part of that growth experience for the foundation to be able to offer that. Uh, We offer that piece because we really feel that that's an essential part of it. So I guess the sanctuary was kind of a natural continuum for them when they picked it um, to be here, but I would frequently put clients at the crossroads and um, would work on a continuing care plan for them when they came back to Florida. So this became an issue for me, and that's probably why the sanctuary was developed to begin with. I kept thinking, okay, I can do this for them, for clients, and offer this flawless, hopefully seamless continuum of care. And, of course, coming when we get clients from Crossroads, I know exactly what kind of treatment they're getting, so it's great for me because I know what they've been exposed to, I know what they have, and then I can work off of that. Their counselor automatically... Emails me what they want done if they wanted to see a you know a therapist for medication management you know what we're going to do with them so we can case manage them correctly so again it goes into that plan of I think hopefully uh, flawless continuation of uh, the process of recovery and that's our association and our, it's growing with Crossroads and it's very uh, exciting for me because I love them and it's been wonderful to work with them.
1: Um, I, I was lucky enough to go out there to visit um, Cynthia Marino Tui and I, the executive director of NADAC. Uh, we went out last winter, I think it was, or the winter before. And um, always nice in the winter. Yes, yeah, really nice in the winter. Um, and it, it's it's a beautiful program, and it's uh, not only is a beautiful program, but they provide very sound clinical care there. And I know that with uh, the whole um, issue around passports, it's been a, a little bit more challenging. Um, because not everybody who's in the throes of their addiction has their passport at their fingertips. Absolutely. That has certainly,
2: you know, it has been challenging. Um, It's getting better, thank goodness. I think a lot of more people, I think it's like, um, you know, I was equating it to Social Security numbers, you know, eventually everybody will have a passport. Again, for people that are out using, it's probably more difficult to uh, find it at their fingertips but they will be you know, more readily available or people will mostly have them soon, I think. Um, it's a fabulous, yeah, I, I love the program itself. Uh, it's a very clinically sound program. Um, it's you know it was developed off the Hazleton model. It's a Minnesota model, and um, it's very sound. The counselors are very well seasoned, um, and I, I'm just appreciative of the fact that we can work with them um, on a continuing basis. But um, one of the clients that I was thinking of was a client actually that was one of the focuses that uh, I saw a complete, continuous, seamless plan was um, a gentleman that went to Crossroads and um, he was from Hawaii and he, which is a long, that was a long trip I'm sure, Yeah, but sure. Um, <laughs> he, was, he was very successful at Crossroads and... He was given our name for the sanctuary, and we put a plan together for him. He arrived here. I picked him up personally from the airport, and when we found out that, um, just before he left, he found out he had a hernia, an inguinal hernia. When he got off the plane, he was actually in pain, um, but he was so anxious to get here. We got him settled, I got him a physician. He had surgery within a week after he arrived at the sanctuary. So here he was in a not only a new place he'd never been in Florida. Um, he had just finished treatment, so we had to work with him as far as medication management. I we took him to make sure he had the surgery. The surgeon knew he was in recovery. The plan went well. He came back after a day in the hospital. Um, he completed his time at the sanctuary very successfully, and he was so happy being in recovery in a place where he was accepted and, and felt part of a family that he actually moved here. Wow. And he went home once, and that was the piece that I thought was important. He went home to Hawaii once, and he called up after about his third day. He thought maybe he might move back home, and he said, I'm ready to come back home. And when he referred to the sanctuary in Delray Beach as home, I knew he had made a transition for himself. He completely left the place that he was brought up and raised, and was, it was also his trigger point and his trigger for relapse, and a, he works at a gymnasium. He did it as a part-time job, now as a full-time job. He's relocated here to Florida, and he's, it's a whole lifestyle change for him. Nancy, you brought
1: up something that I think is important in terms of continuing care. You said the surgeon knew he was in recovery. Could you just talk a little bit more about the importance of that in terms of any any doctor, but especially physicians?
2: Well, I think you have. I think that's something that people that are so used to getting going to doctors and getting drugs, and he happened that that was his drug of choice was he was one of those that you know was on opiates and was frequently getting prescriptions for. Um, he was able to the, you know, to look at that piece. That it was important that they could regulate his medications, um, and that he wasn't on them. That somebody held his medication for him. That he wasn't holding it himself. I do this with my nurses that are in recovery, and I work with that they have to be able to put a plan together. You just don't go and have surgery. Oh, granted, there are emergencies that happen. You have no choice. But if you're planning a surgery, you need to be part of the plan and be an active participant in telling them, this is what I, I'm in recovery, I can, you know, I can only have a certain amount of medication. I mean, obviously no one was meant to be in pain, but when you, when you bring people into the team, and again, that continuing care, they know that this is what they're working with. They appreciate your honesty and they know what they're doing.
1: Well. Right, because oftentimes what I've seen um, a huge trigger for people in, in recovery is they go to a physician and they tell the physician they're in recovery. The physician may or may not understand that, or the physician may say, well, can you take this medication? And the person doesn't really understand what it is, and they'll, they'll say,
2: sure. Oh, sure. <laughs> and then they're off and running. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's an education piece. that We need to teach. We educate the client, um, the resident, on how to, how to talk to somebody say, This is a trigger. Relapse groups. We talk about our relapse group, our relapse education. That's one of the things we talk about. How can we put this plan together so it becomes seamless for you? Things happen. You have to have medication for it. You know, you have to go to the dentist. You have to have something done. But you put the plan together. Everybody's aware that you're in the program. You're going to be an active participant in it and that you put a plan together and it can go well it doesn't have to be a trigger for a relapse it it can be if you don't if you don't think ahead we have to plan in our life and recovery as to how we handle situations and that's part of it and he he was able to do that very well because and here he was coming fresh out of recovery in a recovery environment of 30 days but you can't help the hernia so you have to put the plan together and that means bringing everybody into it that you possibly put together as part of your team, including yourself. We'll be right back to talk in our final segment a little bit more about
1: care with the Executive Director of the Sanctuary.
0: Real Life Solutions. Voice America Health and Wellness. To savor something means to delight in to absolutely enjoy so why not savor yourself author and internationally acclaimed speaker doris smeltzer brings her message to the airwaves with savor yourself beyond skin deep plan to spend an empowering hour with doris where you will learn to recognize your worth and your beauty beyond society's limited one-size-fits-all mentality Savor Yourself with Doris Smeltzer, Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. on the East Coast, only on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
4: common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders that's westbridge.org family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders
3: dad can i ask you something sure there's this girl i kind of like say no more you just have to impress her okay but how just i don't know pick up a lot of heavy things around her like what you know desks, chairs people grunt if you have to grunt yeah be like oh Uh, "Oh, uh." "Oh." there you go you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent when you adopt a child from foster care just being there makes all the difference to learn more call 1-888-200-4005 a public service announcement brought to you by adopt us kids the u.s department of health and human services and the ad council
0: opinions options answers voice america health and wellness
1: I'd like to talk about a few things that you brought up, Nancy, Um one of which was you mentioned that the sanctuary is all male. And um, I know I've been approached a couple times about why our program is all male, but I would like to hear from you um, your thoughts on that, and then I'll your, share mine. So um, why not have a co-ed house?
2: Well, I, first of all, I think it's pr- difficult to do at best and do it appropriately most of the time, and this is my own personal, and I think sometimes other people will agree with this, is I think when people come into recovery, um, one of the things that happens is that all of a sudden the opposite sex looks awfully good to you. And um, they may these feelings may have been dormant while you were using, uh, drinking, drugging, um, and all of a sudden when you're clean and sober, all of a sudden this becomes an issue. Um, there are... Obvious things like don't get in a relationship for the first year. Um, I think it's a time when people need to concentrate on themselves and learn how to live within their own skin. And that does not include the opposite sex. So co-ed to me would be difficult at best. Um, we have our three homes. They're all men. I have men in recovery that, run, that are my managers that can sit there and talk to the guys um, about issues that they may have. I'm kind of like the mom there. I'm, I'm old enough to be everybody's mom, I think, by now. But um, I enjoy that piece of it. But I think with women, you have to have a separate place altogether. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But I, I really feel that that's what we do really well. I don't know that we wouldn't do women in the future, but it would certainly be on a different um, plane, not in a well, current
1: environment. Yeah, when I, when I first started working in this profession, um, I, I worked as a nurse in a detox unit, which was all male, and then um, I went to work in a community uh, hospital, which was uh, co-ed, and I began there to see um, what some of the pitfalls were for co-ed uh, treatment, and then I worked in a 28-day residential rehab, which was co-ed, and literally in the free time just running all through the um, Program all through the building, just trying to be the sex police because you know people were just always getting into nooks and crannies, and, and mm-hmm. those feelings were erupting, and there was somebody there that was more than willing to help them manage those feelings, and it just created one problem after another, and and I kind of realized that you know women. I also had the opportunity to work in a woman's halfway house, and women don't learn how to be adult women being modeled after men, and men don't learn how to be adult men being modeled after women. So I, I think that there each each gender has its own set of issues, that in early recovery really responds best by focusing on
2: themselves. Absolutely. I think that that's a perfect summation of uh, the co-ed environment, and I think that's probably why we connected so easily on the. I was a detox nurse for 15 years, and I, I I saw so many people not get into recovery because they were more focused on a relationship and not even a healthy relationship. Oh, right. Uh, so they don't even have that to pull off of. Um, and so when I, I go back, that probably was my first uh, induction into relationships and recovery and unhealthy relationships, and I think that's where I got... Um, a very strong opinion about keeping them separated. Um, And I think that it works well here. We have 15 men. Um, We have three beautiful homes, but we have 15 men, and they're all um, five in each house. They just take care of each house by themselves. They learn how to take care of themselves and be comfortable in their own skin. And I think that's the most important for men and women, but just in different environments. And I think that um, they can't say things to me that they could say to them the guys that work here. Um, just as they're respectful of me when I come to community meeting, I try to let them do their own thing, but when I come to community meeting, you can tell that they things change. It's just how they right. handle themselves. And um, I'm certainly no threat to them. I always tell them we have a female uh, dog that we got to the rescue at the pound, and I said the only two people that are allowed on the campus are myself and Peaches, and both of us are pretty old, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and... I, you know, even like that's in the perfect example. We have a dog that was a rescue dog and she was left in Miami in the hurricane and we had her and she's about nine now, but we got her from the pound and the guys are responsible for giving her a bath every week and feeding her and just taking care of some other thing that they're responsible for. And when it's interesting to watch because when somebody's moving on, they always make sure somebody's taken over that job so that she gets fed and she gets her shampoo and... Um, she does pretty well here. (laughs) And the guys love her. Well, and
1: that whole concept of being able to learn how to take care of yourself, you don't do that when you're involved in a relationship.
2: It's all about the the other person, and and you can't get to a meeting because they need something from you. Right. The whole whole thing. And we tell the guys, we have a a therapist that comes here uh, one night a week and does a men's relationship education group. And it's all about that relationships, how to stay out of them, how to be healthy, and um, I think that focus is important for them.
1: No, I, I totally agree, and um, and I think that's one of the things, that not, not to say that women don't need the same type of uh, sanctuary programs that, that you're providing as well, and they need the same type of programs that we provide. It's just, um, you know, I know we're kind of thinking in the, that it's time for us to start doing something for women, and uh you know, there's a need out there. It's just for some reason it's easier to start with men. Uh, I, and I,
2: I always say, you know, in um, I have a friend of mine who runs a wonderful women's program up in Tequesta, and she said, you know, she loves her women, and she does a fabulous job with them. I have, I guess because I've raised a lot of boys, <laughs> maybe I'm more comfortable with that. Um, but I see them in a different light, and I'm more comfortable in in, in working with them. I always have been. But I think that if we can keep them separated but give them the same type of programs, it's a winner. We just need to keep them separated. Right.
1: And right. Uh, not
2: that we don't let moms come and visit and things like that, but I just don't want them to focus on a relationship more than their recovery.
1: Right. Right. Well, that's certainly what helps people be successful. And that, too, is what continuing care is about because then you've got someone there kind of in their shoulder, saying, you know, um, who are you going out to coffee with and, mm-hmm. um, you know, how many male numbers do you have, how many female numbers do you have, and those are all the kinds of things that are really important to people's day-to-day success.
2: And they seem like simple little things, but they are huge things in that beginning transition into a recovery world. And that's why we take, we want them to go to, you know, there's certainly a lot of co-ed meetings available in Delray, and uh, we're fortunate enough to have a lot of them, but why try to get them to focus. With, there's a men's meeting on Tuesday night. We, get, we tell them to get a bunch of them in the car and go down there. These these are gentlemen that have double digits, that have a long history of sobriety. And this is what they need to connect with, other men, not right. what, what the girls are wearing to the meeting. Right. And when the focus right. is there, then it's not a good focus. So as we get ready to... Um
1: close our show this afternoon, Nancy. Is there one thing that you would like to share with folks about continuing care or maybe you want to let people know how to get in touch with you at the sanctuary or Crossroads?
2: Well, they can always, you know, obviously Crossroads is, um, we can always get on the websites and look at either one. Our website is uh, SanctuaryDelrayBeach.com and um, the website for Crossroads is CrossroadsAntigua.org. Um, and both, I would you know, invite anybody to get on and look at either of the websites. Um, feel free to call me if you have any questions. Obviously, we are all here to do the right thing for the clients, and I think that's the biggest part of continuing care is working with people and um, trusting the process to do what's best for the client and keeping it ongoing, not just for a little short span of time. Um, thank
1: you so much for uh, spending this hour with us and um, talking about continuing care. And I would really like to invite... Uh, programs out there to um, begin to think about this whole concept of continuing care that it's different than aftercare um, I'm certainly sure Nancy available if anybody has any questions or um, would like to uh, learn more about developing these types of uh, home-based programs and we'll see you all next week have a great week everybody